Ladies and gentlemen, if you like the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head over to patreon.com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards if you donate to the show. For just $1 a month, you'll get a bonus mini episode of the show every Monday in your inbox, as well as access to all past mini episodes. These episodes will never be available on iTunes or smugfilm.com or anywhere else. The only way to hear them is by donating $1 a month through patreon.com slash smugfilm. For $5 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes, plus we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Whether you want us to plug your website, your movie, your small business, your Twitter handle, whatever it is, we'll plug it. For $10 a month, you get the bonus episodes, plus we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on every single episode of the show. That's four episodes a month. It's an incredible deal. So once again, that URL is patreon.com slash smugfilm. Head on over there today, and we look forward to your kind donation. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark, with me today, live via Skype. You know him, you love him from Damn Good Movie and uh, Why a Question for uh, Movies, or what's the title, damn it? Who loves me? What's the title? Why, why a Damn qu- Good Picture and Why a why Question a question, for Bad Movies. Yeah, for bad movies. <laughs> why a Question for Bad Movies. For you, all movies. You know him and love him from that. Carl Garcia. Don't love me. You don't want people to love you? <laughs> I'm freaked out by the concept. Do you, do you want them to like you at least? Yeah. All right. So if if you're at home and you like Carl Garcia, that's 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 about where he's at. That's what he, he wants from you and requires from you. Only platonic hearts from Twitter, please. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't get a little excessive with the uh, the Twitter love. Not for Carl. For me, go go right ahead. I'll take the love. I could use it. We all could use it. You know why? Shit's bad in this uh, this country, huh? Pretty terrible right now. I mean, we don't we don't usually talk about current events on uh, the Smug Film podcast unless it's current movie events. But uh, yeah, I mean, everybody's everybody's feeling it. We got a lot of people mm-hmm. hurting. I'm hurting. Everybody's hurting. Everything's pretty fucking crazy right now. It's the kind of thing that makes it hard to do a movie podcast because it feels so trivial. But I feel like uh, movies can be a much needed escape. Uh, you know, you can you can be watching the news all day long and you probably should. You know, you got to stay informed with all this shit or you could be following stuff online. But movies are like are, are a good like hour to break, I think. And that that's what I've been doing. I I was following the uh, the horrific shooting in Texas and I uh, certain point i was like you know what i i just gotta watch something else and i put on can't hardly wait you remember that movie i've never seen that movie never seen can't hardly wait it did the trick it was uh you know 90s escapism it's just kids trying to find love and get laid at a party and that that did the trick like i i took like a nice 90 minute break from following all that that crazy coverage and i disappeared into mid to late 90s drinking we're at a high school party you know yep yep and that did the trick and you know what because i was so fucking stressed out from like all the news shit there were certain things in that movie that like bugged me that probably wouldn't have bugged me otherwise like there's a part Mm -hmm. where like a guy just like comes into the party and he's like a dick 
and he just like pushes somebody aside and it's like a, it's meant to be like kind of like a sight gag like oh somebody just got pushed aside I mean, I was like, why are you pushing people? Come on. Come on. You know, like it was just it was like agitating me on like a a deeper level than than. Yeah. If I hadn't already been agitated. But there was like simple things like that where I was like, don't don't punch you. Like there's maybe two or three punches in the whole movie. But I was like, Mm -hmm. don't punch each other. You know, don't don't push kids aslide. Don't do that. I mean, they're indecency. They're supposed to be kids. They're supposed to not know better. But it was just it was was more than I was in the mood for at the time. But for the most part, that movie did the trick. You know, Mm -hmm. I was worrying about whether Ethan Embry was going to find love. And that was love. He did. Oh, it wasn't in that wonderful. Yes. Ethan Embry finding love. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Find I missed it. a lot of these. these yeah, finding movies. finding love metaphorically, you know, the concept of love, but also finding love in that the character is portrayed by uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Finding yeah. finding love doubly, and so that did the trick for me. And uh, I was talking to Carl. Carl, you know, has some picks in that regard. And yeah. uh, Carl, what do you what do you think is a good escapism movie for for those of our listeners? And just want to escape. And and by the way, we know that people that listen to Smug Film Podcast, everybody's got shit going on in their own lives. And sometimes just throwing on a Smug Film Podcast, that's their escape. You know, if they're at work, if they're driving to work, if they're doing whatever in this crazy, crazy world, and they just need to think about people talking about movies and, and forget their troubles, we're there for you. And uh, we're, we're glad that we can be that for people, but also movies can be that for us and be that for you all at home. And uh, anyway, without further ado, Carl, what's a, what's a good pick? Uh, there was one I saw a couple days ago, actually. Um, a friend of mine turned me on to it because he's been like touting it as like a little gem that he's loved for a while. Uh, shout out to Lucas Ridge for showing me this movie. It's called Down With Love. Peyton Reed, right? Yes, mm. Peyton Reed. Who we know uh, and love from Bring It On, which is a, uh, I think it's safe to say that's like a bona fide classic at this point, right? Yeah, probably. Who who do, who doesn't that. like that movie? I can't name anybody. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> everybody likes that movie. And it does the thing that I, I really appreciate, which is it takes something that very few people care about, which is competitive cheerleading, and it makes everybody care about it for those 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Which I think when a movie can do that, that's that's incredible. Whatever the niche thing is, I just love when it makes you you care about it and it makes the stakes seem really high. It's like with King of Kong, you know? Yeah. For those 90 minutes, you're on board. You want to see Steve Wiebe hit that score. So I, I appreciate that. Peyton Reed, you did, you did good with that. So tell us about uh, Down With Love because I haven't seen that one. Uh, so it's a rom-com. It's... It's set in the 60s, and the whole premise is that Renee Zellweger, uh, she puts out this bestseller book called Done With Love. It's like the new, you know, the next wave of feminism. And then Ewan McGregor is like this very ridiculous Don Draper type who decides that he's going to make her his next conquest to prove her wrong. Um, but the thing with the movie is it's it's done completely in the style of like those Battle of the Sexes 60s comedies, the like the Doris Day ones, but just... It does the parody so well because it really commits to it to the point that it's like practically the thing with just a lot more elasticity and a lot more silliness put in there. Like it's 
it's recognizing the artifice and it's very like uh self-aware but like not in a way that's like trying to like nudge you in the elbows it's it's celebrating the artifice like one of my favorite single shots in the movie is uh her publisher uh, renee zellweger's publisher sarah paulson and the two of them are at a newsstand where her book is hitting number one and like sarah paulson just pulls the champagne bottle out of nowhere and pops it even though there isn't a cork in it Nice. Uh, and on top of that, if you look, you can see that the book that they knocked off the bestseller list is Kennedy's Profiles of Courage. Which <laughs> <just> <laughs> well, that's funny because Peyton yeah. Reed's always putting those little sneaky yeah. book things. Because, like, wasn't there that, that great moment in uh, Bring It On where uh, you're... Uh, yeah, you're, what's the kid reading at the bleachers? Uh, it was, like, Evolution of Man or... Here, let me look it up. Because that's a really cool thing. If you guys don't, don't know what you're talking about, there's a part where there's, like, some you know, cheerleading rally or whatever. And our, our main dude, who's the, the love interest that we're rooting for. He's, he's reading a book while everybody's cheering. Let me find what that is. Well, you're searching, uh, down with love also probably makes the best use out of David Hyde Pierce. I've ever seen in a movie. Like he's always underused and this like knows exactly how to use David Hyde Pierce. He's delightful. Yeah. He's always good. He's always been great. And definitely always underused. Yeah, I can't find what book it was that he was reading. For some reason, the internet doesn't care as much as we do about this. (laughs) I always hate that when I'm like trying to find something like that. And it's like, oh, turns out that's just me and a couple of people that care about that. And we're apparently we're not communicating with each other or documenting it in any way. But I do remember there's like a GIF of it going around or an image of it going around. I remember that's how I saw it because I haven't seen that movie since it came out. So. Yeah, that's one I've owned on uh, DVD for a very, very long time. That's uh, That's been on my shelf for ages. I should probably uh, revisit that at some point. So yeah, bring it on, I would say. And and Down With Love, yeah. I think I'm going to try. I think, uh, I think yeah. you sold me on it. It's just adorable. Uh, it's 2003, so Ian McGregor just busts out a lot of that southern accent he had in Big Fish, which mm. is really fun. There's just a lot of good raunchy sex jokes. I mean, Sarah Paulson and David Hyde Pierce are the two supporting, like, can't go wrong. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds good to me. And uh, another one that I, I watched was, you know, I, I kind of went down the path of, like, John Hughes stuff because I felt mm-hmm. like that was, like, a safe route. Like, yeah. that was, like, like yesterday I watched a couple John Hughes movies. I was just like, you know what, fuck it. And uh, I watched Uncle Buck, which... I think the last time I saw it since I was a kid was I must have seen it on TV, like a truncated version, because I forgot about the whole plot line with like he takes them to the bowling alley and he's like talking to his like shitty friends and they're going to do some sort of like shady shit at like a horse race. And then he's like deciding to take them to them to a horse race or whatever. I think the version I saw on TV cut all of that out. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. I had and I'm no, pretty sure I saw it on TV. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, thank you for that confirmation because I had no recollection of that whatsoever. And the movie completely works without it. It doesn't need it whatsoever. And I always had this memory, I guess partly because of how I last saw it, was that I remembered it this very as this very simple, streamlined movie. But mm-hmm. then I was watching it on DVD and I'm like, wait, what? I don't remember this scene. I don't remember this other scene. Yeah. Like, it seemed way overcomplicated. Like, you didn't need to portray Uncle Buck as, like, that dark a character. Uh Uh-huh. Like, I thought it was always that, like, he was just, like, a little unorthodox 
and maybe he had done some shit in his past, but like he was more or less over it. He was just kind of like, you know, he, they didn't want to hang around him. Like the family didn't want them in, in their life, but man, like it, it, it got a little dark and I, I, I wasn't expecting that. So th- there were elements of the movie that really like were the right vibe, mm-hmm. but damn, like the, the little subplot, it was like, man, uncle Buck, it, I felt betrayed by uncle Buck. <laughs> I was like, I thought he was one thing and then he was, he was something else. Stabbed in the back. I th- and I think, you know, this is a rare event, but I think I prefer the uh, the edited down version. I like the TV abridged version. Yeah, we'll have to, like, confirm what the deal is with this horse racing subplot. Dude, I fucking... This, this is another Googling nightmare because I, I Google around. I couldn't find a list of, like, what's cut out of, like, the TV version, you know? This is our this is our Berenstein Berenstein. Oh yeah, multiverse theory. Absolutely. Thing. Yeah. Evil dark Uncle Buck, as opposed <laughs> to you know jovial, just kind of like street giant smart pancakes. Yeah. Uncle Buck. Yeah, that's see my memory. Giant pancakes. Him talking to the teacher at school and giving her shit. Driving up with the car that doesn't work. All that stuff's great. But then you got this scene where he's planning like some really shady like shit where he's going to go to jail probably if he doesn't do it right. He's like fixing some horse race with his fucking grungy <laughs> friends. It's not good. It's not it's not it's not Uncle Buck that that I know and love. So that was kind of hit hit or miss for me. Then I did a little Ferris Bueller. I didn't even finish it. I just threw it on for vibe. I just needed yeah. the energy of it. And I mean, that's always good. I feel like if you bail before Cameron kicks that car out the window, you're yeah, exactly, good. and that's yeah. what I did. I didn't even I didn't intend to do that, but I just kind of maybe intuitively, maybe subconsciously, I knew that. But I, I ended up watching, I guess, probably like 30, 40 minutes of it. But it was just uh, it was the right vibe, you know. Mm-hmm. Very carefree, very uh, very escapist. I feel like a lot of the the Hughes stuff, the best Hughes stuff, it feels like kind of alternate universe. Even though I think he's very good at portraying like american suburban life it does have like an alt universe quality to it does that make any sense yeah it, it's almost like it's there are certain idiosyncrasies to it that i don't know how realistic they actually are like i didn't grow up in the suburbs or whatever but it just it feels uh one step removed from reality in a in a way that i enjoy i think yeah there's a there's a slight ex- exaggeration to a lot of it like uh like Molly Ringwald eating sushi, you'd never see that. But like, that's definitely true to the rich girl in the suburb stereotype. So, see, that's something that yeah. I would see in New York City. Like yeah. that, I didn't bat an eye at that. It was like, all right, yeah, that girl in school, yeah, she'd be eating sushi. That that's like that was like a common occurrence for me in high school in mm-hmm. New York City. But I guess yeah, it would be more rare in the suburbs. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's a little cartoonish the in the Hughes world, and I like it. Uh, what's another pick? What do you got there? Uh, I was gonna add throwing Gremlins two, the new batch. Oh fuck yeah, that's ooh. If the you're light, gonna, yeah. If you're gonna escape, that's a place to escape yeah. to. That one's great. What what made me think of it? There was an episode of Mark Maron recently that Joe Dante was on, and he was talking about that movie, and he was talking about um, the actor they had for the evil CEO whose name is escaping me, but like they had written that guy to be like really like hardline evil. Mm. 
And then the actor came in and kind of read all the lines with this like golly gee whiz attitude that was like totally not what they intended. But they were like, you know what? What's wrong with it? It's actually vibing pretty right for the rest of the movie. So like, you know, it's just like kind of a testament to how upbeat and delightful that movie is. It really is. And it it exists in a very like almost Charlie Kaufman-esque side world. Yeah. Like if you've seen the first one, the second, and if you haven't seen the second one, I'm I'm sure if you've seen the first one, you've seen the second one at this point. But like, if you haven't seen the second one and you've seen the first one, and you have some idea in your head of like, all right, yeah, it's like it's probably like the first one, same plot, slightly different, maybe a couple new gremlins. No, it, it it's it takes the first concept and it's like, all right, well, what if the first one was a movie? And what if how I always relate is like. In Looney Tunes, when like the characters like run off the side of like the film sprocket or whatever, yeah. it's that but a movie. Yeah, it's which definitely the Chuck Jones of like live action movies. Exactly, it, it's yeah. very very Chuck Jones, and it's a uh, very self referential and not just self referential, but just referential to just pop culture in general. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a result of uh, they spent years trying to get a sequel going, and Joe Dante wanted nothing to do with it. And then they could not get a script they were happy with. So the studio eventually was just like, listen, you do Gremlins 2, we'll let you do whatever you want. So he did whatever he wanted. That's always <laughs> the best yeah. deal. Isn't that how we got Bride of Frankenstein? Yeah. You always get something good from that, I feel like, with sequels. When there's no pressure whatsoever, when it's literally like you can do whatever you want, that's when we get yeah. the really awesome fucking sequels. And also because the guy who just did the movie has no interest in doing the same movie again. So yeah, it's like, yeah, they're, they're not going to fall into that trap. It's a it's a wild movie. It's, it's a movie I've watched several times with like large groups of people and it just works mm-hmm. really well. Yeah. There are certain movies that like if you're watching it with like 10 people like in a living room, it's not going to play well for for whatever reason. Like it just does better with like one or two people or even just by yourself. There's mm-hmm. a movie that. I think only gets better the more people you're watching with at one time, Absolutely. especially if you can hear each other. I feel like in a, uh, in a in a theater setting, I'm sure it's great, but there's something about like being able to audibly hear people being like, oh, my God, like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like friends of yours, like all in a room. It just that's the kind of movie this is. That's the kind of way you have to watch it, I think, ideally. Uh, if we go farther down that route of just insane American movies, I am a big fan of Hard Target. Uh, ah, is, Hard Target. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, it's John Woo's first movie for America, so he's, like, going insane with the <laughs> camera work to try and just, like, show off, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, who, like, forcibly edited the movie so he could have more close-ups. Uh, Lance Henriksen's the bad guy. Wilfred Brindley lives in the swamp and has a Cajun accent. That's that's my favorite Van Damme, I gotta say. I think that's the only Van Damme I've actually seen. It's I think that. it's the only one I actually like legitimately like. There are a lot of really bad Oh no wait, Bloodsport. Shut up. What am I thinking? <laughs> Bloodsport's amazing. Uh, I've heard that one's good. Yeah, Bloodsport, but Bloodsport is very like shoddily made. Like mm. hard targets, crazy, but it's like it's still in this impeccably well made. Yeah, yeah. it's it's in the realm of like, all right, there was clear thought here. Mm. Bloodsport, like the line readings are like all over the place, and like the dubbing is <laughs> really bad. It, it's just very, it's a very bizarre movie to watch. It's it, you're essentially watching a person who's 
English isn't their first language trying to make an English language movie. And it's very apparent with, uh, with Bloodsport, but in hard target, I think, uh, you, you wouldn't know necessarily that somebody who English wasn't their native language made it. Mm-hmm. But hard target's crazy. Yeah. Hard target is just delightful. I think Steven Seagal, I've, you know, I've always said he, he's my favorite of that crop, mm-hmm. but, uh, I think, Jean-Claude Van Damme kind of gives him a run for his money with a hard target. <laughs> I have to admit. And I'm a, I'm a diehard Seagal fan. I really am. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. See you soon. And now, Smug Film presents Robot Reenactments. Where do you live? In the city. You have a house? Apartment. Own or rent? Rent. What do you do for a living? Lots of things. Where's your office? I don't have one. How come? I don't need one. Where's your wife? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. You have kids? No, I don't. How come? It's an even longer story. Are you my dad's brother? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. I'm your dad's brother, all right. This has been a robot reenactment. Now, back to the show. Hello. I am the hunky smug film sponsor plug man. I'm here to tell you about the fine people who support the smug film podcast through Patreon. You all should check out Bobby Slow on Twitter, he's a very funny and good man who tweets funny and good things and is worthy of your love. And he has a really good Twitter ratio of followers to following. That's impressive. Once again, that's Bobby Slow on Twitter. You should also check out Minor Key Games. Go on over to MinorKeyGames.com and check out these awesome computer games made by David and Kyle Pittman. Two brothers that make great video games with an old school feel. Cody hates new video games for the most part, but he enjoys the heck out of these. Once again, that's MinorKeyGames.com. Also, be sure to check out Room Full of Spoons, Rick Harper's documentary about the cult classic film The Room. It's a great documentary that we all love here as Smug Film, and go to roomfullofspoons.com to find out when it's coming to your city. Thank you for listening to my hunky voice, and thank you all who have donated to the show. And if you would like to be plugged on the show, please head on over to patreon.com smugfilm and donate. And now, back to the episode. Hello, Smug Film fans. Leave us a question or a comment for Smug Film to play on the show by calling the following voicemail number. 718-395-9711. Once again, that's 718-395-9711. We look forward to hearing from you, you lovely, lovely people. And we are back. We got a voicemail for you folks. Let's, uh, let's listen to that. How's it going, Smugsters? It's your buddy, Paul from L.A. My question to you guys has to do with rituals that you do before you go see a movie. I don't know if you guys ever talked about this before. Real quick, I'll tell you about mine. One, I got to do the popcorn Coke Zero with a dash, a dash of either Dr. Pepper or Mr. Pip. okay? There's no Coke Zero, I'll do Diet Coke. Don't talk to me about Diet Pepsi. Anyways, popcorn, butter, extra butter and salt in there, nothing too big. And uh, if they got like the little flavor shake, you know, like the white cheddar stuff, bingo, let's do it. Half 
after that, find a seat, and then after that, put my stuff down, and then I got to do the pregame pee-pee, okay? I got to go, I got to go, you know, drain the lizard. I don't care how late I am. I don't care if uh, Avengers Affinity War trailer is on or whatever. It's not why I'm there. I don't even watch the trailers. Trailers not even that important anymore these days because you see the trailers all the time get sent to you. So, <clears throat> gotta go do, gotta go do the do, shake the snake, okay, get that out because, man, there's nothing worse than going to see a movie and not being able to concentrate because you got a reservoir bank sitting inside of you just waiting to get squeezed out. So, that's pretty much my ritual. And I don't eat my stuff until the movie starts. That's the other thing. I don't get these people that are like, it's like Pac-Man. The lights haven't even gone down yet, and these people are just like munch, munching away. Hey, you know, just munching away, just going at it, going to town like they've never had snacks in their life before. Anyways, I'm here at the theater now. I'm gonna watch this purge business. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what this is about. But uh, we'll see. All right, keep up the good work as usual. Love you guys and uh, take care. Hasta la pasta. All right, Paul. I think that was your best one yet, Paul. I love this guy. Isn't that amazing? This guy's great. Was that the greatest goddamn voicemail? I think that's yeah. the best voicemail we've, we've ever had, maybe. Paul. Just in and out. <laughs> yeah, that, that was fantastic. <laughs> to the point. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, voicemail. Maybe Thank you so much. Colloquialisms. Just like free jazz with colloquialisms. It was delightful. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. Draining the snake and, and, and the lizard and all that. And I, I, I love that stuff. To... I have to admit that I am a Pac-Man. I totally eat the popcorn before the movie even starts. Right away, really? You just go yeah, right at it? I can't help it. I don't know. It's, okay, it's so a metal hands thing. I'm not even thinking about it. Let's hear from from your perspective, because you're you're apparently the opposite of Paul. Let's hear, what what's your defense of going right into the snacks right away? I don't have a defense. It's a lack of self-control. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's, fair enough. It's not even self-control. It's just like unconscious thought. You know what? So I, I've got a bag of edible food in front of me. I just eat it without even paying attention. Like my mind I gotta respect that. I gotta respect yeah. that because you know what? You're honest about it. Yeah. You're not. You're not pretending like you have some grand theory why it's better. You know. You're like. You're like. I can't help better. myself, man. <laughs> I just go it's for not it. Narratively pleasant to eat your popcorn and then like what happens is I always eat half the bag. And then the movie started and I don't even want to eat the other half. And I end up taking it home and eating it at like midnight. Mm. It's sad. Yeah. So sad. you need a, you need a, a, a method. I think, yeah. I think that's why you like uh, Paul's voicemail so much is like, you're listening to a oh, man, this guy, he's thought about this. Like this is <laughs> deliberate. He, he's, he's, he's put a lot of plan into this. I'm, I'm not much of a uh, eating at the movie guy. I like to eat either, before or preferably like after i like eating mm -hmm. like it's it's a true romance thing where uh you know he's like i, I love eating pie after a movie like yeah uh, what i'm trying to do there's a movie theater near this apartment i moved into a few months ago that i go to and they've got a dope hot dog place across the street so i'm trying to like get a hot dog before or after yeah it's, um, it's a good vibe because you get to talk about the movie if it's after which yeah. is always good, and you, like the pressure's off. See, when you when you eat beforehand, actually, now that I think about it, it's not so great because then you're like, like, what if the food is late, and then you end up like missing the movie or whatever. Like yeah. it's it's kind of hard to time. There's always like some gap you have to leave, and then like you leave too much of a gap, and you're standing around like a doofus outside the theater mm -hmm. or whatever. 
it's hard to plan perfectly. It's easier to get to the theater on time and then just eat afterwards, which I like yeah. to do. Because like, if you're sitting down to like a two hour movie and you, if you really have to munch on stuff in those two hours, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with you as a person. Like, yeah. I, that's like a, I don't, I don't need to get concessions. And usually if I do, it's because I haven't eaten. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you just plan it right, you can eat right after and then the world's your oyster. You're not, you're not beholden to just milk duds or Mike and Ike's or uh, popcorn or nachos or whatever. You can uh, get some Chinese you know, and go, go get some Japanese. You can, you can do whatever made you a, want. Made a huge mistake yesterday. I was at uh, New Beverly, which is Quentin Tarantino's theater. I mean, it wasn't his theater to start out with, but it was the one he always went to, and then he bought it to save it from going out of business, blah, right. blah, blah. So he, a couple years ago, ended up taking complete ownership of it and, like, redid everything, and, like, now he schedules the uh, calendar, and, like, he reset the whole food menu. So for years, they've always had White Castle sliders on the menu, and I've always just been like, wait, how? where are they getting these? Right, that's so weird. Um, so yesterday I was at... A pretty cool double feature. It was a uh, Spider-Man TV pilot from the 70s. And then Spider-Man 2, the Sam Raimi 2004 one, which is still fucking awesome. Oh, yeah? I should add. I haven't um, seen that one since it came out. Oh, it's still great. It's so good. Anyway, between the movies, I was like starving because I hadn't eaten. So I was like, all right, let's find out what this uh, White Castle thing is. And it's those frozen ones that they microwave. And I got stuck eating the, like, microwaved White Castle burgers. Oh, no. God damn you, Tarantino. Oof. That's really bad. Why did you put that on the menu? Yeah, don't even put it on the menu. Just fucking yeah. leave it off. Now, what's your, what's your ritual for peeing? Because I, I try and time it so that I pee, like, like, I'll hold it in to the point where, like, maybe two or three minutes before the uh, previews are going to start. Mm -hmm. Like that's when I'll, that's when I'll make my exit. That's when I I'll go hold, pee. I can hold it pretty well. So I usually don't have an issue. And if I have to pee, I just go after the movie. Like I, yeah, but what if you sit, hold it for two hours? What if you're sitting down to like, there will be blood or like uh, one of them long uh, superhero movies or something, you know, I you can get, tell beforehand I'll go, but like, usually I don't even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. You got one of those bladders. Yeah. See, I, I always make a point of going right before because I, I remember there was like there's like a couple movies I've seen where I had to pee really badly in it when I just didn't time it right at all. I think 28 days later, when I first saw that, saw that in theaters, I think half the fear was that I was going to piss my pants because I, <laughs> I just had to pee so bad. And for some reason, I was just like, no, nah, I could hold it. And uh, like towards the end of that movie, I was I was like. It, it got to the point where it's like almost painful where it's like, I yeah. have to pee so fucking bad. And I don't know, it, it maybe it intensified the movie for me and maybe it made me like the movie even more. I mean, I love that movie, but uh, mm -hmm. I think it kind of added to the experience now that I think of it, having to pee really badly. I did that when I was 12 or I didn't piss my pants. But I, yeah. I, uh, when I was 12 at Attack of the Clones, I did that where I was like, okay, this has got to be the end. This has got to be the end. I couldn't do it wait anymore and I went to the bathroom and I came back and it was the credits and I was like, ah, oh, shit. Ah, oh, man. See that? I remember, wasn't John D'Amico saying that like he took like a uh, piss break and... and <laughs> oh, yeah, Batman versus Superman. Yeah, he took like a nice 15, 20 minute piss break where he went and had a piss and then he got a drink and he just drank it outside of the actual theater and then 
talked to somebody for a little bit and then he went back in, which, uh, you know, I gotta, I kind of like that tactic. If you, if you're suffering through something, uh, really, really bad, maybe that's the best choice. Cause I, I don't like, I don't like leaving a movie theater. I don't, I don't like walking out of a, of a, of a movie. I'm, I'm not one of those guys. I can't do it. Whereas I can do it at home. You know, I can stop watching a movie and put on something else at home easily. Yeah. But when it comes to movie theater, like I'm, I, I just need to get my money's worth, even though mm-hmm. I know I'm not going to, like I, I went and saw Johnny English in theaters that, to, <laughs> I'm so sorry. to date. That's the worst movie I've ever seen in theaters. And I sat through all of it. I, I made it through somehow. I walked out of one movie because it was at the Chicago Film Festival and I had gotten a ticket through school and it was just so, it was just like an insultingly amateurish Goodfellas ripoff and it was like, you know, there was just, there's zero for me to take from this. I just, there's no point in sitting through this. So I left. Like, I think that's the only time I've ever done it. Yeah. If it's, if it's like something amateurish like that, you know, it makes yeah. more sense. Especially if it's like a comp t- ticket, you know, but if it, yeah, if I didn't it, pay for it, there was no, clearly no value to the movie, Yeah, which I almost never say. So I was like, all right, I'm out. Yeah. I don't blame you. I don't think it makes you a bad person. I don't think it's uh, anything like that. I think it's a, just a personal, it's like, what are you okay with, with your own self? Yeah. Like if, if it's a comp yeah, I ticket, a problem I don't th- with people who walk out. Cause it's like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's your choice. Yeah. Yeah, dude. If you don't want to subject yourself to it, don't subject yourself to it. No, totally optional. You can be like me and subject yourself to it. Yeah. Do you, uh, are you, do you sneak food into the theater? I I like to sneak in a drink. I can't say, like, I haven't snuck a burger in that I can think of, but like. Why'd your mind go to burger? I don't know. (laughs) It seemed like a compact sneakable food. Could be. You know, burger. I've I've snuck a, I've snuck sandwiches into the theater, but that was like if I'm if I was seeing like fucking Lord of the Rings or something, mm-hmm. and it was just like timing wise, it made sense to just bring something. But like I'll I'll always sneak in a drink. Like I think pretty much every time I go see a movie, I'll sneak in some sort of drink, even if I don't drink all of it. Like just mm-hmm. a sip here and there. Um, I'll 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 bring like a cold tea or something. I like the Ito N. Tees, tees. That's kind of regional, but maybe some people who listen. I have no idea what that is. Yeah, it, it's popular around here in New York City. It's like a cold brewed tea that has like no uh, no, no sweetener in it whatsoever. Mm. It's just a nice, tasty jasmine tea or whatever. I, I like to bring those or I'll bring a water because like the fucking water at the theater is like what, like six, seven thousand dollars. Yeah. yeah. You got to wow. fucking go over your credit card limit just to get some Dasani. <laughs> And it's always, it's always that shitty water. It's always fucking Dasani or like Aquafina. It's a water nobody would ever buy for themselves outside of a theater. Yeah. I fucking I hate Dasani the, more than anything. <laughs> the, the Coke water. Yeah, that's uh, water. it's either yeah. Coke or it's Pepsi's water. Um, I can say from personal experience, the big chain theaters, please don't give a shit if you sneak food in. Yeah, they the don't. They don't. Do are those like shit eating grid managers which you can spot a mile away if you're a good judge of character. So yeah, I've never, I've never ran into trouble with that whatsoever. There's a vague resemblance. Ted Cruz. Don't let him see that you're sneaking food in. (laughs) That's a good rule. Yeah. All right. So back to, uh, escapism kind of fair because uh, like we, like we said, world's crazy right now. Our, our country in particular, things are kind of bad. Just a general vibe is not good. Would you say? 
but general it's, vibe not good it's pretty it's pretty low it's pretty in the pits 2016 pretty not a not a great year it sucks pretty bad pretty pretty bad across the board it's all fucked up I'll tell you what, that fucking, the best thing this year so far was probably that Hamburger Helper mixtape, I gotta say. I don't even know what that is. You don't know what that is? Damn thing about it. On April 1st, Hamburger Helper, the company, Uh dropped a mixtape that was the Hamburger Helper, like, uh, glove guy doing a mixtape. But Mm -hmm. it was fucking amazing because they just got these, like, unsigned, like, rap artists that were, like, really good to do it. Because they, they wanted it to be something that nobody knew was going to drop except uh-huh. on April 1st. And they made like a legitimately good mixtape. But the lyrics just had to do like vaguely with like hamburger helper and like preparing a meal <laughs> and stuff. But it sounds really good. Like especially the first track, it's it's very convincing. It's almost like unnervingly, like legitimately good. So if, if my theory is if 2016 can give us that, then maybe 2016 can turn itself around and maybe become a better year as it goes on. Because who knew that fucking Hamburger Helper was going to drop the best mixtape of 2016? <laughs> Nobody knew. Nobody saw that coming. So maybe there's some good stuff coming. That's, that, that's I guess, my pep talk for those listening at home. You never know. Things could get better. Never fucking know. So as far as escapism goes, more suggestions in that regard. We, we covered... I mean, I think what we pinpointed here was that essentially teenage problems, that's a good escape because it's very, it's very frivolous, especially in the John Hughes variety and the, oh no, we're at a party. Am I going to find my love variety? Like that kind of stuff is really good. That's a good vibe. You know what I tried that just didn't do the trick was I tried that movie Dirty Grandpa. Oh no. Because there's a fucking faction of uh, film Twitter right now, mostly Miriam Bale and like a couple of her friends that adore Dirty Grandpa and like swear by it. And they're like, they're the Dirty Grandpa fan club of the world. And that's got like 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. It, it wasn't liked in theaters by anybody and didn't do well. But Miriam Bale, a couple other film Twitter people fucking adore Dirty Grandpa. And I got to say, not not so good. Not, not so good. The, uh, they didn't do a good job cleaning that grandpa? No. By the end of the movie, he's still filthy. <laughs> oh man! No, it, it's it's not funny, dude. Oh, it, it, it's uh, and here's the thing. Here's what like fucks me up about it. It's very consistently not funny to the point where it's like, all right, well maybe I'm just missing something here because <laughs> if if a movie is like hit or miss, not funny. Uh-huh. Like if if there's a good joke and then there's like six bad jokes and then there's like another good joke, it's like all right. Well, they just didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what was the good stuff, what was the bad stuff. But every single joke in this movie, I didn't find funny whatsoever. Oh, my God. So either there's something wrong with me or it's just like it's on some other wavelength. I don't know what's going on. And it unnerves me. It makes me feel weird in myself because it's so consistently unfunny. I'm tempted to see this now. I mean, she she swears it's like the funniest goddamn movie. It's like one of the best movies in in ages. Yeah, it seems like if it's operating on such a specific wavelength that like maybe it just hits for some people. But yeah, I don't know. I just see it myself. It's uh, it, it's very like contrived in its raunchiness. Like it's uh, and that was kind of my problem with like Bad Santa. I know a lot of people like Bad Santa. I think it's like there are things I like in it. It's okay. I'm not a big fan of it, but it, it that movie felt very contrived. Is like all right, let's be raunchy and and weird. 
and mm-hmm. let's let's be crude for crudeness sake and uh dirty grandpa is in that vein where it's just like it's very deliberately trying to be like as crude as possible it's like how can we get through this scene as crudely as possible as raunchy as possible every character is like weird and raunchy except for like the main character of zach efron is like what <laughs> what's I'm going on man. yeah oh. why is everybody calling my car a labia you know it, it's like one of those things. Is that really one of the jokes? Yeah. He, oh, get out of here. Here, let me, let me give an example of the contrived aspect of this. He's got a wife. He's a, you know, he's a lawyer. He's working at his dad's firm. And uh, the grandpa of uh, him is, uh, the, his grandfather is Robert De Niro. Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez, yes. And uh, here's how it's contrived it is. He has, to, he has to drive uh, Robert De Niro somewhere. And he's like, all right, he's talking to his wife. I'm like, all right, let me uh, let me take this car. She's like, no, I need the SUV so I can carry stuff for the wedding. You take my car. So he has to go on this like long trip with like his grandpa taking like, I guess the body or whatever ashes of the grandma. I forget what the fucking plot device is that like they have to go on like a couple day trip together. But it he has to take his wife's car which is a like a pink like girly car like it's a very small pink car okay. and it's just so that they can like then make fun of the car for like the whole goddamn movie what? it it's like they give him this like pink car he, he he's like a pushover so he's not going to take the you know the SUV or whatever it's just weird that like his wife would have like this very girly car like it almost it's like why why not like just like a like if you're gonna also kind of just wigs me that like noted feminist film critics are into like this very lazy oh it's so lazy of, like gendered oh no like it's it's the equivalent of oh I gotta buy tampons yeah like yeah and it's like he drives like, up to, he drives like, up to Robert funny. De Niro's house and uh, Robert De Niro is like funny in a subversive way either it's yeah. stupid he's like why are you pulling up in a labia you know and then every every other character every raunchy character in the film is like constantly making fun of the car. It's uh it's very very lazy. It's a, it's the equivalent of like the hack comedian thing where like the comedian wears like a dumb shirt or a dumb hat and goes on stage and starts making fun of his own shirt and his own hat. And it's like you yeah, but you chose to wear that. Like you put that on. Like that's sad. I think it's Maria Bamford or Pat Oswalt that points out that like that weird trope in a comedians of comedy like they they're they're, they talk about that specifically where it's like how how can you make fun of that shirt that you deliberately chose to wear like it didn't just appear on your body and that's the case with this fucking car in the film and like audrey plaza is like way 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 raunchy to the point where it's like she's just complete like any likability of audrey plaza is just gone at that point she's just like she's just a vehicle for like saying come and like fuck me in the ass and like shit like that. Like she's, it's like a fucking, like one of the dolls with like the, uh, the pull out cord in the back where you like pull it. And she just said, that's essentially what her character is. She's just saying that, you know, she's saying weird shit like that. It, it's not a good movie. Uh, but maybe, like I said, maybe I'm, I'm just not picking up on something because it, like I said, I didn't laugh at a single thing. So I'm, I'm on some wavelength where it's just not hitting me and some other wavelength. Is is apparently for people because uh, some people dig it. 
But that I'll talk real quick. I pulled this up on IMDb, and the plot point keywords are incredible. Mm. Would you like to hear them? I would love to hear them. Tell me how accurate these are, too. Okay. There are 18 plot point keywords. That seems Fondly. a little high. <laughs> Female removes her clothes. Voyeur. Cleavage. Blonde. Strong sexual language. Thawn panties. Panties. Male pubic hair. White panties. Voyeurism. Scantily clad female. Bikini. Rave party. Girl in panties. Black panties. Bare chested male. And pubic hair. I like that there's somebody on IMDb who's like, I gotta find all the black panties movies. I gotta specify yeah. this type of panties. He's like, fuck. Like, he's like, man, I've been looking on IMDb for my fetish and of black panties, and like, I can only find just panties. I gotta create a subsection just for black panties. Because uh, for those listening at home, that IMDb thing that he's just talking about right now, that's shit that people on IMDb tag movies as for like, if you're looking for a specific <laughs> thing. So if you're looking for a movie with like rave scenes, because maybe you're doing a paper on that and maybe you're trying to research like, all right, what, 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 what are the movies that have raves in it? Instead of racking your brain, you could just go on IMDb, type in rave scenes, and then you find it. This guy tagged black panties for his ungodly, uh, uh, um, reason. I clicked through, I clicked through the black panties. Oh Yeah. See what other films have been tagged with black panties. How many are there total? 751 films. That is way higher than I thought. <laughs> and somebody tagged all of those individually. Currently, the most popular film for black panties is Dirty Grandpa. God damn. Sitting at number two, The Departed. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have known? Who would have known? Wow. Number three. I don't remember black panties in The Departed. Yeah. Who knows? I, I, dude, apparently I've got like, uh, like, I, I don't, I don't remember any black panties in movies. Now that I think yeah. about it, I got some fucking uh, mental block. I can't, ima- I can't remember movies with black panties. We're the Millers at number three, which I didn't see. These are all fairly recent, which means like yeah. maybe there's like a recent trend. Uh, well, I don't know. Scrolling down here. We got Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind at number four. See, I, all these movies, I'm like, man, I can't remember the black panties. Clockwork Orange. Oh, this one, Black Swan. I remember some black bands. There you go. Finally. See, that. if I had sat down for like an hour, that's the one I would have come up with. I'd been like, yo, Black Swan. Why is The Departed the second most popular film with black panties? <laughs> I think we're bearing the lead. Why Why did somebody tag over 700 movies <laughs> with black panties? I mean, that's that's beyond fetish. That's that's obsession. That's uh that's a lifestyle that's of just doing that. Like not even the fetish of, I mean, literally of just tagging black panties on movies. Like that's your full-time job at that point. By comparison, white panties is only 260 and regular panties is only 524. See, <laughs> see that, doesn't, that doesn't make sense that regular panties would be less Dude, than black panties. Female nudity and female frontal nudity are both like, Several hundred less than there are black panties. Are you fucking? Oh, dude, who the dude. fuck is this person? We are discovering some fucking groundbreaking <laughs> shit on this pod. This is Got breaking it. news. The black panties community of IMDb. Uh, we we just discovered something here. Like you know, I'm I'm sure in like a couple weeks, Vice is going to put out some like article about like this black panties obsession in film, 
and then like the subgroup that like adores it, they're going to fucking poach our story. This is our story. We do. We, when you're listening to this at home, I hope you realize we do, we are discovering this in this very moment. You, yes, you are listening to this is a live discovery. Yeah, you are listening to us discover this black panties IMDb thing as it's unfolding. If anybody's talking about this after the fact, it's because they're ripping us off. Um, I also just went and set it by release date. And the oldest one they've tagged is something called Woman in the Window from 1961. That's as far back as whoever's been doing this is bothered. I kind of want to know what silent movies have black panties in them. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure if we got John D'Amico on here, I think he could <laughs> rattle off about 20. Oh, yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Danny Reed probably knows some pre-code black panty stuff. Guys, you don't remember the black panties and in intolerance? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be the uh, voicemail from John D'Amico after he hears this episode. <laughs> this is gonna be, come on, Battleship Potemkin. You don't remember <laughs> the that? Statue wearing those black panties. Yeah, the seminal sick. black panties scene. Come on, guys. All right, so, uh, wow, I, I don't think we can top black panties. That was an amazing discovery. Carl, Carl, that was incredible. <laughs> you, you, I'm so glad you went on IMDb and you looked on that because I think that was uh, this. This is groundbreaking uh, film journalism right here that we just uh, we just did. I gotta I gotta think about this for a while. I don't know about you. I cannot like I'm just looking at this list now of just all the various sexual tags and like none of them even come close to black panties having 750 individual tags. This is this is some seriousness. If you're listening to us at home, please go on IMDb and, and verify what Carl's saying. It's true. This is We can't make this up. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Carl, for your amazing discovery. <laughs> that was incredible. Real, real quick. Blue Panties. 69 tags. Yeah, because fucking Blue Panties guy isn't as obsessed as Black Panties guy, apparently. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? And uh, again, if you listen at home and you're you're feeling what we're feeling, which is, uh, goddamn, this country's really fucked up right now and doesn't feel great to be in it and doesn't feel great to be, uh, you know, following the news and stuff. We hope that Black Panties bit uh, was was escapism <laughs> enough for you. It sure Go was for you. me. Go to IMDb and spend hours scrolling all these black panties tags. Yeah, dude. Fuck watching movies. Just go on IMDb and look at the black panties tag. That's that's escapism enough. I think that's what we've, just, we've discovered. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Carl. And uh, thank you, all you listening home. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.